Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Well, I mean, are you doing fantastic really, or is that just the American response? No, the American response is fine. (laughs) So I'm glad you're doing fantastic because you're going to need to be doing fantastic because today on CBT Talks, we are unpacking the kingdom era as we march through the story of the Bible. Today, we land on the kingdom era. Great contrast Mm -hmm. between uh, those in leadership who obey God and those who disobey God, yep. who, those who, who refuse to live according to his, his dictates, and those who live lifestyles of repentance. We get to, to look at a contrast between wisdom and foolishness, mm-hmm. and it's all happening right now. You know, I often look at myself in the mirror and I think, I'm a lot like Saul. Hmm. Which uh, which Saul? There's two Sauls in the Bible. You know, the Saul that we're talking about today in the oh, Kingdom King era. King Saul. Yeah. You think you're like King Saul. Yeah. He All right, a, in what way? No, it's a... He was an impressive dude. <laughs> I mean, he was handsome. He was... <laughs> I mean, he was a he was a head shoulders above every everybody yeah. else, uh-huh. and and I'm just saying when I look in the mirror, sometimes that's what I see. Um, well, Joel, um, I, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm gonna have to take you down a few pegs. I'm gonna have to humble you a little bit, Joel. How how tall are you? I'm I'm five nine and a half. I, I don't think you're a head and shoulder above everyone else if you're if you're like of average height. Well, I, I didn't say I actually was head just, and shoulder. Oh, you just I said, feel like I said when I look in the mirror, I just I just. I I sense that that I am and 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 so if you're thinking right now Joel you have serious major issues and problems you need to seek help immediately yeah. I I just want to point out that this is exactly the major problems and issues that Saul had I see what you did there that's a great segue the whole time I was like man Joel is like he's he, he's a little a little high on himself right now, but that's that's exactly what Saul's issue was too. Yeah, um, but you know what, Joel? I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. We haven't even introduced the end of the kingdom era. We just ended the judges era, and the people said they wanted a king. And the first king that we're going to talk about is Saul. The second king is going to be David. The third king is going to be Solomon. And then we're done with the kingdom era because there's only three kings in this United Kingdom era. So it's three wonderful divisions. And the first division, of course, is King Saul, who was handsome. He was a great warrior. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. And as we just learned, he was very similar to Joel. So now every time I hear Saul, I'm going to picture Joel's face. I'm going to picture Joel as King Saul. (laughs) Well, and that might not be a very good picture, so you you might need to alter that commitment. Well, you know, uh, King Saul started out pretty well, so we'll just say like you're like early King Saul. We're like you're like the first two years of his reign, which wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I wouldn't mind claiming that. I mean, yeah. really, the 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 people ask for a king, and and so you know, God is is going to give it to them. Now, mm-hmm. God has already told them that this is going to happen. Yeah. Deuteronomy seventeen, God gives mm-hmm. instructions for the future king. But Solomon does start out well. He is the king that God chooses for Israel. Yeah. And 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 it's interesting because you know God makes promises to Saul like if yeah. if you will follow me I will give you the the kingdom. I will establish your throne and and he even is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and he prophesies. So you know we think about Saul as this, you know, horrible guy which is I mean he was. He his his demise was yeah. was great and his fall was 
hard, but he, he did really start out well. Well, you know, there's this idea in the Bible that, well, it's not just an idea, it's just it's just a fact that everyone is on a faith journey. And so what you see is there's some people that will humble themselves, submit to the Lord, and over the course of their lives, they might start off horrible, but they will end well because they are learning to walk by faith. For Saul, you have someone who who starts off pretty well. Like from the outside looking in, this is a a, a young man that, that all the people are like, yeah, he's the kind of guy we want to be king. He was anointed uh, by the Holy Spirit. That The people rallied around him. He won some impressive battles early on. He's united the nation of Israel. There's this idea of like, yeah, Saul's the guy. Yeah, but he was directionally challenged. He was directionally. He couldn't find his father's flock. That is true. That is, that is just a, like, it's a wonderful little... T- like he had a lot of gifts, but he was directionally that's challenged. The, you know, that's the best bit of Bible trivia we've probably had so far on truth the show. Truth bomb right here. It's truth bomb. Uh, what, what could King Saul not do? Find his father's flock, as he wondered. <laughs> yeah, but but he started off well. The people were, were, uh, were submitting to him. They were following him. The Lord made promises to Saul, but, but he commits two major sins. Two major sins. And the first one of those sins that he does is is he doesn't completely destroy uh, the Immaculites uh, after a, a large battle with them. Uh, and this is important because twice in God's word, twice in God's law, uh, he gives the command to completely destroy them, to wipe them out. And God also gives the command in his word that when there's a king over Israel, the king has to write, like handwrite, his own copy of God's word so that it stay close to his heart, so that he'd be following it all yeah, the days. Yeah, so that his, his heart wouldn't be lifted above his, his yeah. brothers. But what we see is um, Saul doesn't do that. And Saul's heart does become lifted above all of his brothers. And he makes the decision as king saying, no, we won't completely destroy him. And I think the real important part in, in Saul's story, if we're understanding like why there was such an egregious sin, it's not that he committed this sin and then when he was confronted about it, you know, he repented and wept and was like, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done this. Uh, you actually see him trying to justify his actions. He does the same thing later on in, in a second major big sin, and that was um, this was just before a large battle, and before this fight, he wants to make an offering to the Lord. And that sounds like a good thing, right? Like, yeah, of course, you want to make an offering to the Lord before the battle. But he wasn't willing to wait on Samuel, who was the priest, who would be the one who would do the offering. And he was getting impatient. And so instead of waiting on the Lord, and instead of obeying the law and doing the sacrifice the right way, he makes a sacrifice the wrong way. He decides, I can make the sacrifice myself. He ignores God's rules and his commands. So what you see is, you know, Saul is in his own way trying to obey and bring honor to the Lord, but he's ignoring God's laws like when he does it. And man, that's a temptation that a lot of people have nowadays. There's a lot of people with a lot of fervor uh, for the Lord, but they they don't bother to learn how God wants us to follow him, wants us to worship him. It reminds me a lot of, of Cain and Abel, actually, where Cain makes a sacrifice to the Lord, but the Lord doesn't accept it because it wasn't the correct sacrifice. It wasn't made the right way. And the Lord said, if you offer the right sacrifice, I'll accept it. It's the same thing with Saul here. If he's making a sacrifice to the Lord, 
but it's not the right sacrifice. It's not the right way. He is trying to follow the Lord by his own rules instead of by God's rules. And again, when he's confronted with this sin, he doesn't repent. No, instead, he he tries to justify himself. He, he basically says, I'm king. I'm allowed to do what I want. Uh, I'm the Lord's chosen person. Yeah, and you have a real contrast here from the way Joshua started out before the Battle of Jericho and the way Saul really begins his Mm -hmm. reign. He builds a monument to himself, which tells us everything you need to know. When push comes to shove, Mm -hmm. Saul reveals his heart. It's not to submit to the Lord, to wait on Mm -hmm. the Lord, to be careful to obey all of God's commands. His heart is is to 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 gather a, a build or build a kingdom for himself and to mm-hmm. rule the people for himself. Saul was in love not with God and his word but mm-hmm. with himself. You know, I uh, I remember I, I went to to Blue Mountain College for my undergraduate. Um Hey, I'm wearing stuff. some Blue Mountain swag today. Yeah, hey, look right? at that. Yeah. You know, you know go toppers. That's right. So, Blue Mountain College, wonderful private uh Christian college. So got my the journey. The journey. Did sure. you go did you go on a journey at Blue Mountain College? I mean, I got a degree. It was a kind of journey, yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. it is but it is the, the capital T, the journey. I'll, I mean, I'm not sure, but okay. Just for the record, CBT is not endorsing or... or uh, Blue Mountain College. Yeah, yeah. Or, or any entity. Yeah. Uh, but, but I went to Blue Mountain, got my undergraduate degree there, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, and my degree was in Christian ministry. There's also a degree in, in biblical studies, and there's also a degree in worship ministry. So you have a lot of people going into the ministry, and they'd go to Blue Mountain before they went to seminary as part of their preparation. And so um, I remember there was uh, two uh, two young uh I'd say future music ministers because they weren't currently music ministers at the time. Um, and there was one who was incredibly talented musically, could play anything, could could sing amazingly. He was like, like he was gifted. And there was another guy who said that he was called to be a worship pastor, but he, like musically, he wasn't that gifted. Like he had to work twice as hard and he just couldn't play things as naturally. His voice just wasn't as good. And so think back to that Blue Mountain time, and, and I would think that that guy that's really talented, you know, there's this idea of like, man, he's going to make it, and he's going to be at this big church, and be leading this big band, and it'll be great, and there's this other guy, and it's like, mm, I don't know, you're just, you don't seem that gifted, but, you know, 10 years later, you know, when I look at who has succeeded in ministry and who has not, the guy who is insanely talented, but knew he was talented, and cared more about his talent than really honoring the Lord, like he didn't make it in, 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 as a worship pastor because the Lord wasn't first in his heart. But this other guy um, who wasn't that musically talented, let me tell you, he has spent years working on that and, and dedicating everything to the Lord. And so when he gets up there, like it's very apparent he's not trying to make much of himself. He's trying to make much of the Lord, and, and he has done wonderful, uh, amazing things. And I just think back to, to those two individuals when I think back to Saul of like, he had everything started out uh, correctly. Like he had everything from the outside you'd think that you'd want in a king, but he he knew it. And so he made a monument to himself. He, he thought, and sometimes this phrase is overused, but I think it's true. Like Saul thought that he was God's gift to Israel and, mm-hmm. and he acted like it. And that 
that worship pastor I was referring to, the, the talented one, like he thought he was God's gift to a church. And so he's like, you know, it was always one of those things of like, you're so lucky to have me sing at your D now. Or, They're so lucky if they end up calling me because I'm so talented. This other guy who's like, you know what, I, I'm not the best, but I, I just want to serve. And that's what God honors in that. And so that's what you see with King Saul. You see the kingdom ripped away from him. Uh, you see the throne taken away because of his unwillingness to submit and repent to the Lord. Uh, but you don't just see... And the Spirit of God leaves him. Yes. You, you don't just see that the kingdom stripped away of like he was king and the next day he wasn't. What you see is kind of like the series of God removing the king from him and preparing the next king to take his place. And so uh, the the kingdom was, was stripped away. But more notably, I would say, it says the spirit of the Lord left him mm-hmm. and God sent an evil spirit uh, to, to torment him. Uh, to, to compel him. And you actually see Saul essentially uh, go into uh, madness over the years. As his heart turned away from the Lord, um, inwardly, like you even see some things of like schizophrenic or, or paranoia and all that stuff come in later on in life. But he still remained king for decades. And you actually see the next king that we're going to talk about, King David, actually grows up under King Saul's reign served King Saul. They had run-ins and fights, and King Saul even tried to kill David on several different occasions. And so when we say that the kingdom was stripped away from him, we mean that the next king that we're going to talk about, King David, uh, described as a man after God's own heart, became king. But David had to go through decades of preparation before the Lord like physically removed the kingdom itself from Saul, and then allowed David to rule as king instead. Uh, and so I, I just think that's such a, a wonderful thing of, you, you see, you know, we talk about this period of waiting, this time lapse of Saul sinned egregiously against the Lord, refused to repent and humble himself. So the Lord removed his spirit, gave him an, an evil spirit, and then you have decades of Saul uh, continuing to give in to sin, continuing to ignore uh, what the Lord has said. And you see God also preparing the next King David. So let's talk a little bit about David. Who? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and before we go there, though, I want to just point out that it seems odd to say God sent an evil spirit into yeah. Saul. But I just looked it up while you were talking. Yeah. Deuteronomy 28, God, when he's giving the blessings and the cursings, mm-hmm. he promised them in Deuteronomy 28, 28, the Lord, if if you disobey God, if you refuse yep. to obey his word, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. So it it seems weird, it seems odd, but that's why we study the Bible as one story, because we we can go back and see, oh, God has prepared Saul for this moment. He should have known this, because he should have written this down with his own hand in following the instructions of Deuteronomy 17. You know, Jake... 
just about on every episode, this book sits right here. And I bet you people wonder, what in the world is this book? Well, this is The 14 Eras, a summary of the story from Genesis to Revelation. This is a, a booklet written by Ava May, and it simply explains each of the 14 eras individually. That's right, and we use that booklet kind of like a basis as we're going through the 14 eras. It's a handy guide for anyone to help wrap their mind around the big story of the Bible and that 14 era framework. And the great news is it's available for purchase right now at ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com. Yeah. But we're talking about David now because David is is really put forth as a a contrast to Saul. Yep. And you get this long period of time and in in a, in a a lot of text covers this this middle period. transition. Yeah, yeah. The transition period. That was the word I was yep. looking for. Um and so you you see that that God chooses David when he's young. Mm-hmm. And David is is a man after God's heart, and and God says, "I have found someone who will do all of my will." Yeah. Now I'm going to get way ahead of ourselves, but just way ahead of us, just yeah. so that we can make all of this uh, sensible in context. David sinned much greater mm-hmm. than Saul yes. on the face of things. I mean. What Saul didn't kill all the Amalekites. He he built a monument to himself. He he made a sacrifice that yep. he shouldn't have made. All right, David commits adultery and kills Bathsheba's husband Uriah. Yep. Right. So so he does that. Then I mean, well, I mean, let's just stop there. That <laughs> yep. that that's enough yep. on the face of things. David, David, but David lives a lifestyle of repentance, mm-hmm. and at the end of David's life, he he does he takes a censor, uh, a censor. He takes a census that uh, he was not authorized to make, and and so during this the punishment for this census, David repents, and and God chooses a place mm-hmm. for the holy of holies, for the altar, for the mercy seat. It's the last promise, mm-hmm. the last installment that that God has not made yet in this kingdom era. And mm-hmm. he finally does it. And David, we're talking about, or what I'm trying to explain is, he is a man that will do all of God's will. David takes a faith journey, mm-hmm. as as you have often talked about, and, and me as well on this podcast. And, and at the end of that faith journey, David wants and dedicates the rest of his life to building this temple mm-hmm. and because God has finally chosen a permanent place yep. um, like he promised in Deuteronomy 18 but um, but but although God would not let David build this Solomon his son would build it later David would uh, would would do all of God's will and he spent the rest of his life preparing for that so that's the end of David's story but at the beginning he's mm-hmm. he's a guy with a sincere desire to know the Lord yeah and I'm going to say this one last thing and then pass the ball back to you but in this contrast between David and Saul you see that there's a big difference between someone who genuinely loves the Lord and wants to serve him Mm-hmm. and simply messes up, even if it's a big mess up. Yeah. 
There's a difference between that guy and the person that says, I reject God Mm -hmm. and I will continue to live according to my own desires and pleasures. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between the two. David lives a lifestyle of repentance. And although he sins from our perspective in much greater ways than Saul sins, David is, is forgiven. Mm-hmm. And 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 he is blessed, and we we see that that contrast. Yeah. But before David commits those egregious sins, you know, just going to like the basic timeline of David's life. If you're wondering what is happening right now, is Jake is pulling everything back into focus since I took it in just just all kinds no, of crazy well, I, directions. I, no, I love he's, those. He's like Joel. We're gonna we we need to get back to the program. <laughs> so look at your notes, buddy. Look at your notes. That's what's going on right now. So the timeline for David, you know, we every once in a while yeah. we got to let people behind the curtain. No, just no, kind of no. know the 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 production staff is behind the camera going. Good gracious, somebody get a hold of that guy. No, Joel, you're too you are too hard on yourself sometimes. That's why I didn't think you're anything like King Saul, because <laughs> King Saul would have been like, "I'm doing it right. I'm the best." So anyway, but so David was chosen uh, as a boy, the, the youngest of all of his of all of his brothers. Saul was chosen as a young man who stood head and shoulders above everyone. He was handsome. He was a great warrior. Everyone's like, that's the kind of guy we want as king. David was chosen as a boy, the youngest of his brothers. And it was like, why are you choosing the youngest brother of this this no-name house like this? He's not rich. He's not powerful. He's not strong. Yeah, this family descended from a prostitute. Yes. For goodness sakes. So... you have all this going on, and there's this idea of, like, why why would you choose David? But the Bible says that the Lord looks at what's inside, looks at the heart. And at this point in the story, we, we don't really know, like, what that means of, like, well, what, what makes David so much different than Saul? But you see him grow up, and you see him grow up as a shepherd, and he's taking care of his father's flock. And every time a lion or a bear, like, comes, or or a wolf comes to to try and take some of his father's flock. Like, he would have to fight off that animal and defend the flock. So the Lord is raising him up to be a shepherd, like, among the people. We we have the same thing, you know, just like Moses was a shepherd. These same things, the same story keeps coming up because God's doing the same thing. He's teaching David how to be a shepherd king, just like Jesus is a shepherd king. But anyway, so he, he's teaching all those things. David then becomes a young man, and uh, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. And the Philistines have this mighty champion of a warrior named Goliath. And now listen, whose job is it to fight the champion Goliath on the Israelite side? Well, the answer is King Saul should have been the one to fight and meet Goliath in battle because he's the king of Israel. He's supposed to be leading and commanding the army. And, and also, everybody else is short. Yeah, everyone is short. Like, no, Saul is this large Israelite mighty warrior who's killed thousands in battle. Like, Saul's supposed to be the one to fight Goliath. But David, as this young man, he's not a child, but as a young man, he comes there and he sees this scene of there's this this warrior named Goliath who is taunting the Lord's army. And you have the king of Israel who is cowering. Who is cowering. And 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 all of David's older brothers, all these other soldiers, they're also cowering. They refuse to fight him. And David simply says, like basically, if no one else is willing to fight him, 
I will fight him because no one should be allowed to challenge and and blaspheme the Lord's army. Exactly. Yeah, I, and I think everything is it, when you look at David's heart, his his faith journey at this point. When he says, when he asks the question, "Who is this circumcised?" Uncircumcised. Excuse me. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Yeah. And 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 his zealousness for the name of the Lord and for the armies mm-hmm. of Israel is is on full display. Yeah. And and you you just think about this scene where you have this young man who's not even a part of the army. Yep. He's just there to bring food and to his brothers. And check yeah. on his brothers and bring back a report yeah. to his dad. And and he's not even a part of the army, but he gets caught up in his zealousness for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And this is this this is what God saw when uh, on that day when mm-hmm. he's being he wasn't even invited to the anointing ceremony. Yeah. But this is what the Lord saw in his heart. Mm-hmm. This man is going to defy all rational thinking mm-hmm. and he is going to be so zealous for the name of of the Lord he must be yep. the king and so david david kills goliath and david doesn't kill goliath because god supernaturally intervenes in the actual battle it's not like david went to sling the stone and god like zapped him with super strength or it's not like David slung the stone and then God made a lightning bolt strike Goliath at the same time as the rock. It was because God had already prepared David through this fight. David boldly says, I promise I can defeat Goliath. It's what he says to his brothers, what he says to Saul. And he goes, he goes and, and he does it. And he says, the victory is the Lord's because he's fighting on the Lord's behalf. He's saying, if I, as the Lord's servant, humble myself before the Lord and try and, and fight this enemy, just like in the conquest era of God saying, like, I will win the battles if Israel is willing to fight. That's what the picture you see here. David defeats Goliath. And from this point on, really, David starts to take this leadership role after defeating Goliath of instead of Saul leading the army like he's supposed to, oftentimes he's having David fight the battles, especially the dangerous ones. But David is willing to do this as a servant of the Lord. And you see decades of all the people slowly starting to learn like, hey, this guy David, um, he's zealous for the Lord and he's humble. And he's the one who's actually leading us. Also, uh, there's rumors that he's actually been anointed as the next king. Um, we're ready for Saul to step down and David to become king. And, and Saul's sitting there, and, and he, over decades, he becomes paranoid. He tries to kill David on several occasions, tries to chase him down. But over and over, David, uh, as this young man serving, as a servant of King Saul, refuses to kill King Saul and take the throne for himself. And he says over and over, like, when it's God's time for me to have the kingdom, like, God can take care of Saul himself. I'm not going to go and and commit a murder to try and get the king sooner. And that's going to become important in the divided kingdom when we talk about this man named Jeroboam. But before we get to that, just focusing on, on King David, he went through decades of serving what I would describe as the mad king Saul, um, refusing to take Saul's life, even weeping when Saul eventually dies. And so all that happens so that later on in life, when Saul does die and the people are ready to anoint David as king, there's no question that he is a man of integrity. There's no question that he 
acquired the throne, not through an assassination or a murder or rebellion, but simply by following the Lord and being who God wants to lead the people. And so you have this this celebration of like David is now the king. All the people are excited about this. And it's like, man, if David keeps on this trajectory, like, man, this dynasty, it's going to it's gonna last forever. Israel's going to go through like this golden age of everything's going to be perfect and amazing. And you see for, for decades, David faithfully following the Lord. But, but here's the thing. Once he's king, he kind of falls into that same sin and temptation that we see throughout happen throughout the Bible of once things are good, once people enter that rest and peace, they start to think, well, I mean, I'm not actively running for my life and things are pretty good, so I don't really need God as much as I used to. And and you see this scene with David and Bathsheba happen because instead of leading the army like he was supposed to, uh, he's out walking on top of the palace walls. And I think it's it's really telling when you talk about like how David actually killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, um, he sleeps with uh, Bathsheba, then recalls Uriah, who's one of his mighty men, from the front lines to try and get him to lay with Bathsheba so that he would think that the child is his. So that means that his army and his commanders are actively fighting wars while he's sitting at home, and just like Saul was doing with Goliath, like, I'm not willing to fight in this battle. And so you see all this happening, and, and you're wondering, like, man, he is... He's giving to the same sins, the same temptations, and he commits this egregious sin. But when Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David openly about this sin, uh, about uh, the sin of Bathsheba and Uriah, what David does is absolutely remarkable. He doesn't cover up the sin. He doesn't punish the prophet. Uh, he, he doesn't you know, refuse culpability. He doesn't say, well, I'm the king. I can do what I want. He repents. He tears his clothes. He repents openly in front of all of Israel. And so when we say that he leads a lifestyle of repentance, we mean that he is willing to openly admit his sins, repent in front of God and in front of the people. We even have Psalms written by David talking about um, the depths of his sin and his mistakes and how he needs forgiveness. And so when we talk about a man after God's own heart, like that's what we're talking about, a man mm-hmm. who's willing to repent when he does wrong things. And that, that's the picture of David that we have in the Bible. Yeah, and so that, that really gets us to the end of, of, you know, of his story when, when he really gets to that place where he desires to build the temple of the Lord mm-hmm. and the Lord will not let him. It's at this point in Scripture that God promises David... Um, uh, well, I, sh- I said it, this point in Scripture. It's not at that point in Scripture, but it's 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 actually before David sins with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. God promises David that he is going to establish his throne forever, and yep. it's it's right here that God affirms the promise that He made to Eve and to Abraham, mm-hmm. and now He He confirms it to David. The Messiah is going to come through David's lineage. Yep. So even before David sinned with Bathsheba, God is promising him an inheritance through his descendants. Yep. And actually, that is going to come through Bathsheba in, yep. in Solomon. Yeah, and, and Solomon was, of course, Bathsheba's second son. Right. Uh, they, they lost their first child. Um, but 
one thing I want to point out before we move on to Solomon's story is I do want to say that just because someone repents of their sin and God forgives them, that doesn't mean that the consequences of that sin uh, is completely wiped away. A good analogy that like I like to use with people is, like let's say that let's say that I fall into drug abuse and like let's say that I use meth for like a decade, even if later on in life, like I repent of that and and I turn away from that sin and and I get clean, like Amen, praise the Lord, that's that's amazing. There's still going to be long term effects of decades of drug abuse on my body, and God is not going to. I mean, He can, but usually He doesn't supernaturally undo those things or if i commit an egregious sin like let's say that you know i'm married i got kids but let's say that i leave my wife uh, and i divorce her and i marry someone else now i could even repent of that later on i could try to be a better husband i could try not to make those same mistakes i could prostrate myself in front of the church but like according to scripture i have disqualified myself i've disqualified myself from ministry from being a pastor like forevermore, I'm not the husband uh, of one wife. I have left my wife. I've committed that sin. I'm not above reproach anymore. The consequences of our sins still follow us on earth, even if there is this this repentance. So we shouldn't think that David did these things, uh, but because he asked for forgiveness, there weren't any consequences ever. What we actually see is in the later part of David's life, David is fervently trying to follow the Lord and make things right. But we see this fracturing destruction of his family life because now the second son, the second child that they had with Bathsheba, Solomon, like he's going to be the next heir to the throne. David has other sons that were born from other wives, and they're thinking, well, we can take the throne and said, look what David has done. You have this period of rebellion and civil war. And it grieves David deeply, seeing the destruction that his sin has wrought on his family. And that's part of that repentance process, too, of God doesn't always completely wipe away the earthly consequences of our sin. And part of that is so we understand the depths and depravity of that sin. So that David isn't able to look back and be like, yeah, well, I did that thing with Bathsheba, but everything's okay. Nothing bad ever came from it. No, constantly the rest of his life, he's reminded of like, you know what, I... I wasn't the husband of one wife. I didn't stay faithful. I gave in to temptation. And even though I repented of that sin and God is able to forgive me through that and I'm able to move past it, I'm still dealing with the messy consequences of living in a sinful fallen world, having committed a sin that affects all the other people around me. And so I just think it's a, it's a good story too. And sometimes we we kind of skip over that as we're telling David's story, but we shouldn't think like he committed this sin with Bathsheba and and killed his friend Uriah like to try and cover up his sin. Don't think that there were no consequences for that because we have chapters and chapters in the Bible detailing all of the fallout that happens from that sin. But praise the Lord, no matter how bad the fallout is from our sin, we can still find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Um, and so Amen. that's the message of, of David's life. Amen. Yeah, and and it is it, it is going back to that great promise of the Bible that if we repent, God forgives. If we seek the Lord, we will find Him. And so it, it's a it's a great it's it's a great picture of of God's graciousness 
and 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 his mercy because God does forgive David mm-hmm. and God establishes the messianic covenant with yep. David and God is going to accomplish that through Solomon. You know, Jake, the Bible is a big book. Mm. It is so big that if you really wanted to know the entire Bible, you, you'd love with the question, where do I start? That's right. How do I keep going? Mm-hmm. And what is the goal here? How do I know I've achieved Bible literacy? Well, we've got great news because on chronologicalbibleteaching.com, we have a page dedicated to this problem and answering this question. Mm-hmm. It's called Our Plan. We have plans for individuals who are reading through the Bible mm-hmm. uh, as as a part of their quiet time. We also have plans for churches who want to implement Bible literacy as a DNA in their church. That's right. So if you've ever wondered, what is the next step on my Bible literacy journey? Follow the link and check out our plan at chronologicalbibleteaching.com. Yeah. Solomon is an interesting king. Yes. Jake, because you know, Solomon is he, he's he's another one of those guys that starts out well. Yeah. And then he'd say kind of kind of the the middle chapters weren't, yeah. he weren't has, good at all. He has a messy middle. They were horrible. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, it, I think there's evidence in the in the at book the, of Ecclesiastes yeah. That, yeah. that at the end he he ends well. Mm-hmm. Um but again, his life is marked by the consequences of sin. Yep. And and so Solomon though begins with with this this dad who has prepared everything for him. Yep. And 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 he is he's got to build this temple. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when God appears to him in a dream and says, Ask me anything you want, and Solomon says, I just want wisdom. Mm-hmm. And God God grants it to him. And Solomon says, I, I'm young. How can I lead these people yep. unless you give me wisdom? And what a what a position of humility before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we hear the, the, the name Solomon and, and we hear, man, he is really wise. Yep. God does make him wise. And, and the Lord even says, like, because you ask for wisdom, I'll also give you uh, power and stability and riches. I'll, I'll grant all those other things because... You asked for wisdom. You were humble enough to, to ask for wisdom from me. Yeah, and during his reign, Israel does become really the premier nation on the planet Earth. Yeah, they, they are the strongest and yeah, the richest. They were they were an ancient world superpower. Absolutely. Um, other other nations were swearing fealty and trying to enter into political alliances, and you know, literally coming to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of King Solomon, like, we need to learn from this guy how to run a country. Uh, oh, yeah. Man, if there had been TV or, or internet or, back then, I mean, it, it would be it would be Solomon on yeah. everybody's newsfeed. Yeah. This guy was a celebrity of celebrities. But he, going, going back to Deuteronomy 17, God had instructed when they have a king, they are not to gather multiple wives yeah. for themselves. And Solomon does not... Obey this right. instruction in the least little bit, mm-hmm. and his wives and concubines end up turning his heart from the Lord to serve their idols, and so Solomon begins mm-hmm. to really. If you if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you can see all of the things that Solomon gives himself to. Yep. He, he gives himself to the pursuit of his own wisdom. He gives himself to, over to the pursuit of his own pleasures. Mm-hmm. He gives himself over to the pursuit of, of science. 
Um, And all of these things prove empty, and he is left with a handful of just messiness and brokenness. And, you know, Solomon's story is an interesting one because we don't have that much scripture describing his his messy middle um, like in real time. We have scripture of him referring back to his life like when he's older of saying, like, mm-hmm. this is what I did. Um, but you see him, like you said, really ignoring the commands in Deuteronomy about what a king should and should not do. And, you know, prime example is taking hundreds of wives and concubines like mm-hmm. We're not talking about a few hundreds of wives and concubines, and you might ask, well, well, why was he doing it? Well, you find out that most of them were, were foreign wives, and there's this idea that this is a way uh, for Israel to have political alliances for stability, and, and that means that, well, it seems like he's moving towards that direction of instead of relying on the Lord to protect them uh, militarily, he was like, well, if I make enough military alliances— then that'll that'll protect us. You also get the sense of him gathering much wealth um, and riches from the people, and this again is through God's word. the The king was not supposed to gather wealth and riches and, and overly tax the people, but we see later on his own sons and the people's testimony when Rehoboam mm-hmm. becomes king. They said that no Solomon's yoke on the people, the the tax burden and the work that he demanded of the people was heavy. And they said, if you just if you just ease up on us a little bit, we'd all be willing to follow you. Um, of course, Rehoboam doesn't do that. But what we see that Solomon, especially when it comes to the extravagant nature of his own palace, mm. um, obviously was accumulating great wealth and riches for himself. And I think the best book of the Bible to get a good grasp on this is the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, where a lot of people read that and they just get depressed because they don't know what to do with it. But what that book is, is that Solomon as an old man looking back on his life saying, listen, I pursued riches and I pursued work and I pursued pleasure and I pursued drink and I I pursued sexual promiscuity. Like I, I did all these things trying to make myself happy, but I'm telling you, and I'm the wisest guy who's ever lived, like – it's all vanity. It was all a waste. There's only one thing that you can do uh, that gives your life meaning. You should fear the Lord and obey his commands. Mm. And so you see this idea of Solomon starts out good, has this messy middle of committing egregious sins, of not obeying and following the Lord. And then at the end of his life as an old man looking back, and his life is just full of regrets. And so it's one of those things when we look back on, on Solomon's, the first thing that we should think about when we think about his rule in his life is not, oh, he was the wisest man, he was the richest man. It should be like, man, yeah, it's a, it's a life where he pursued everything but God, and he had a lot of regret. I don't want to have that kind of regret when, when I'm an old man looking back on my life. I want to pursue the things that matter, and I want to put away the things that don't matter. But again, we see that even though there is that forgiveness and even though there's that repentance, and even though Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote a, a, a lot of the Proverbs. Um, he was, again, the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, God doesn't completely um, do away with all the consequences of his sins. We see that a lifetime of him um, not obeying the Lord means that his son, Rehoboam, uh, by all accounts, especially early on, was also not obeying the Lord. And we see we see a, a time where we have this civil war uh, in Israel. You have the kingdom splitting apart into two factions once Solomon 
is dead. And so the promises made to David of if you and your descendants will faithfully obey the Lord, like you're always going to stand. Israel will be protected as a nation. We see that last a whole one generation. Uh, but but Solomon, he makes these these incredible mistakes. And even though he repented in his own age, uh, because of his sins, because of the sins of David, um, you have this messianic promise of one day Jesus will come and undo the effects of the sin. But right now this kingdom that is united ends up getting split into two. And that's going to lead us into the next era divided kingdom. But that's the the big picture structure of, of Solomon's life. It's the wisest man, richest man. Israel became a superpower, but he did not follow the Lord faithfully all of his life. And so what happens is Israel goes from being this superpower, rich nation, powerful nation, you know, all the other nations were, were jealous of, of Israel. But then what happens as soon as Solomon dies? That doesn't last. It fractures, and now you have a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Neither one of those kingdoms ever even comes close to the power and prestige, protection, provision that Israel had under King Solomon and King David. So it's lasting generational effects. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to to just see in as we get into the kingdom and the divided kingdom errors, God continues to use broken people to accomplish mm-hmm. his promises. And and he continues to honor a mustard seed of faith. Uh, he, yeah. he, he honors just, you know, repentance, even on a, well, genuine repentance doesn't yeah. have a scale. He, God honors it. But, you know, Solomon was really the Hugh Hefner of his day. Yeah. Yet he is the king through which God is going to keep his promise to David. Mm-hmm. And eventually there will be a Messiah. And so we see stories like Rahab and and her great faith mm-hmm. and Judah and his moment of, of submission. We see God rewarding them with this seed of promise. But then you see Jacob stealing the seed of promise. Yep. And you see Solomon just kind of really just inheriting the seed of promise. Um, and and starting well and 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 having Hugh Hefner days and then and then coming back, but we we really see we have some great admonition from Solomon at the end of his life. He says that that at the end of Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. the end of the whole yep. matter is this: like this is the most important thing for man. At 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 the end, like we should obey God's commandments mm-hmm. in in everything, because there will be a judgment day. Mm-hmm. And everything will be revealed, even the secret things. Yes. And so um, that really is is a it should be a neon sign in the back of our minds. Yeah. From now until we die, or until Jesus returns, that God has told us over and over and over, and He's telling us here in the kingdom era, there is a day appointed for judgment, mm-hmm. and there is a day when every person will give an account. And even the secret things are going to be revealed on that day. Mm-hmm. So we should read these stories, which are written for our benefit. Yep. That 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 we should be reminded that 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 God is very aware mm-hmm. of what is going on in our daily lives. That there are consequences to our sin, and that we're not promised just because we're God's people that mm-hmm. everything is going to be hunky dory, and that we're we're everything we do is going to have success. Yeah. Well, you know, and and I think that one of the 
great things about reading through the Bible chronologically and, and not skipping books and, and making sure that, that we understand everything's place and what's happening in that meta narrative is because if you don't have that, um, you have whole books of the Bible that you don't know what to do with. So, for instance, uh, you might have someone who's who's in church and they and they think that they're they're following the God with their whole heart. But let's say that let's say that they're a workaholic, and let's say that that you might have a man who's so um, so focused on on gathering wealth and being able to buy a boat and have a big in, in, uh, inheritance and retirement. And he might even t- say, say to himself, you know, I'm doing all this so I can leave a lot for my kids. And it's like, well, work is good. There's nothing wrong with working hard and trying to leave inheritance for your kids. Like, that's good. But, but if you pursue that above everything else, you know, there's a whole book of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon talks about why that is not always the wisest thing. And then we see in, in that big story of the Bible, even though Solomon left his child, uh, his, his family, the whole nation of Israel, the largest inheritance you could possibly have, like set him up with everything. But because he did not raise his family up in righteousness, at the end of the day, he said, like, man, if I should have focused on that more, and I should have focused on wealth less. But if we don't know what to do with Ecclesiastes, if we don't really know the story of Solomon, if all we know about him is, oh yeah, he was a wise king. Um, if that's all we know, like we don't have that story in scripture. We don't have that teaching. And so then you read through the Bible and and there's no teaching to apply to your life. And it's because, well, God has spoken on it. It's just one of those books that we don't know usually what to do with, so we skip over it, you know? I, I even know pastors who, you know, they don't like to preach through Ecclesiastes. They're like, well, if I try to preach through it, it sounds depressing. I'm like, well, it's supposed to sound depressing <laughs> because it's it's Solomon looking back on his life depressed, thinking I shouldn't have done this, 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 this. But then it ends with him saying, like, this is what's important. So you're supposed to read it yeah, but, and think about that history and understand the context of it. But don't you know on Sunday morning for the American church, the sermon is not for the edification of the people. It is the biggest commercial for everybody that needs to start coming and joining yep. the church. That, yep. that's, that's why we don't want depressing mm-hmm. passages, Jake. Come on, man. That's Get right. with the program. That's why we don't want hard teaching. That's why we don't want... Uh, the true things, that, and I should say, it's it's not every church that's like that, but there is always that that temptation. And and just as a as a minister, you know, one of the things uh, that that I want to make sure that everyone is able to understand, all of our listeners, all of our viewers, uh, just, all three of them, yes, just hey guys, just just hear me. Um, there are some things that we there are some things that are easy to preach about. Uh, in scripture there are some things that are more difficult to preach about a lot of times in scripture some of those big lessons like the best thing for you is to read it yourself is to have like a small group discussion like a conversation not everything can fit neatly like into a sermon package and so if you're only relying on sermons for all of your edification for all of your teaching i want you to know there are large portions of scripture um, that that you're going to miss out on uh, because they are not easily communicated in a sermon. Um, and even though your pastor might truly want to communicate those things, like that's why small groups, that's why Sunday school, that's why reading through the Bible um, yourself like every year is so vitally important because you make sure that you're being fed by every story and every word of God. That's a little... Uh, 
you know, sideways saying, I'm getting us off track now, but. Well, the, the, what is happening right now is, is Jake is admitting that he's off track, which is giving me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. But we're, we are, we are, are, are at the end of, of this era. We've got three kings. We see God act in righteousness. We see God act in wrath. And we also see that we don't take out of this era that we have, you know, two heroes or, or one hero or yeah. we, we've, what we have is we have creator God who continues to speak, act, and reveal. And we're going to talk about that coming right up. You know, Joel, we are so thankful for our sponsor, ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com, because they allow us to produce CBT Talks for free and send it out to anyone and everyone as just a resource to help them on their Bible literacy journey. But, you know, there's other free resources that ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com also produces. One of those are weekly videos, and these videos includes a video that uh, previews that week chronological reading, uh, hard questions in the middle of the week that you might be thinking as you're reading through, and then even a review video uh, to cover that week's reading. And for anyone reading through the Bible, especially if it's your first time through, those videos and those resources are invaluable. And if you follow the link on the screen below or in the description, you can sign up to receive these free videos in your inbox and on the website as you continue on your Bible literacy journey. Well, in every era of Scripture, we want to point out, as Iva does in the 14-era booklet, Mm -hmm. uh, that God speaks, He acts, and He reveals. That's right. Jake, how does God speak in the kingdom era? Well, the primary way He speaks is that, you know, God spoke hundreds of years earlier, way back uh, in the giving law, that his people would cast off his rule. They would reject God as king and desire kings like the nations around them. And so it's it's amazing that God knows this is going to happen, gives commands to the kings, but then also tells the people that your kings won't fully obey these laws and that you'll regret having them. And what we see in the kingdom era is you have three kings, all very different Um, all with different struggles, all committing sins, some responding correctly to their sins, some responding incorrectly. But none of it is a surprise to God. He spoke all of these things earlier in Scripture, saying this is what's going to happen. So God speaking through this era. Yeah, and God also acts. And in the big picture, God has... As when he calls Abram out of a, a family of idol worshipers, he, he promises him a great name. He promises him a nation. And over the course of, of God developing this promise, God is, is going to provide a leadership with laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to pro- provide land, and he's going to choose a place to dwell among his people. And he's going to hear their prayers of repentance above the mercy seat in a permanent tabernacle in a temple. And so in the kingdom era, we see God acting. He has fulfilled all three promises now. And we we also see God acting in judgment uh, over Saul. We see him acting in in admonishment and discipline with David and with Solomon. And we see God continuing to establish this greater narrative that Mm -hmm. God has established this nation to preserve the seed of promise that he made to Eve. God will ultimately use this nation to bring the Messiah into the world and remove the results of sin forever. 
Yeah. But not only does God speak and act, he also reveals. He's always revealing uh, truths about his character and who he is so that when we read Scripture, we're learning who is the God that we need to worship. And one of the things he reveals is that, you know, God and man differ on the qualities necessary to lead his people. Who we think is the best leader is often not the best leader. Um, and I think that's so true, just like with kings back then, as the, like the pastor now, the truth is the best pastors uh, often are not the best public speakers. They're not the best charismatic. They might not be the most handsome, uh, but they are the people who are true under shepherds, who are trying to help uh help their younger brothers and sisters follow the Lord faithfully. Those are men after God's own heart, just like David was described. They still sin, they still mess up, but they repent of those sins, and they agree with what God is trying to say. God also reveals that people's response when confronted over their sin reveals their true attitude towards God. Both the lost and the saved sin, but they respond to their sin very differently. Mm. One will sin and rebel and justify their sinfulness. One will sin and repent uh, and desire to follow God's laws instead. And so I think that's a the real distinction of, you know, has someone really submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, not just as Savior, but thinking like he's the king, he makes the rules, I'm going to attempt my best to obey him, and when I mess up, I'm going to admit I messed up and, and get back on the horse and try to obey him all the more. So just the difference in responses between Saul and David, I think, is, is just a clear, perfect picture of well, what does it mean between someone who is lost but trying to follow God their own way or trying to be moral by their own rules and someone who is truly trying to submit and obey the Lord even when they mess up. And the last thing is I just want to say that God reveals that when man disregards God's righteous standards, he always suffers from the consequences. We shouldn't think that we can commit sin and, and get away with it. And there's two degrees to this. One is there are earthly consequences to our sin. Our sin brings destruction, not just on ourselves, but to all those around us. We see this, I think, in the life of David very clearly. His sins, not only sometimes at one point with the sin of the census, brought a plague among the people, uh, but also his sin with Bathsheba brought destruction, rebellion within his own family. But we also see, uh, as Solomon puts it at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a time of judgment where God will bring every work into judgment, even every hidden thing. So we need to understand uh, that there's always consequences for sin. And there is no such thing as a sin that gets swept under the rug or is successfully hidden from God. He is the righteous judge, and everything is going to be brought into light. So those are just some of the things that God is revealing about himself through the kingdom era. And I love the kingdom era um, really because you get really in-depth and personal with these three kings. You really get to know their life struggles. You really get to understand everything that's happening. And while I love uh, eras like the Judges era where you have a lot of characters and a lot of stuff's happening, so it's like, yeah, bam, bam, bam. But like in this kingdom era, you get to know these three men and you get to see their full faith journey. And it really reminds me a lot about the patriarch era, actually, of you get to see the effects of one person either following or disobeying the Lord and then the effects of that choice on that next generation. And you get to follow that family line. Uh, last thing I'm going to say, you know what? Uh, David's family would also make a good show for the Jerry Springer show if they ever 
brought them all on, you know. And Is whatever. Jerry Springer still on the air? Uh, I don't Is even know. Is that still happening? Probably not. Probably, that's probably one of the references. Everyone, like, uh, 35 and up will be like, oh, yeah, that was good. Everyone younger than that be like, who's Jerry Springer? We'll yeah. try to look look this up. I'm just saying, if uh, if you have some family drama, um, read your Bible, because in the Bible there's a lot of family drama as well. Absolutely, and we, we, can, we can know that we're not alone and we're not the first people to experience the things that we are experiencing. And we can also look and see how God responds to each instance and circumstance so that we can better make decisions and follow him in our day. But Jake, that's why we like to say that the story of the Bible works. So CBT Talks. Thanks for checking out this episode of CBT Talks. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can like, comment, subscribe. We have a Facebook channel, a YouTube page, and a main website, chronologicalbibleteaching.com. We're a nonprofit organization, so all those things helps get our reach out to more places. That's right. We're everywhere on the World Wide Web.